أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم Okay, so we ended uh, with ikhlas in our last uh, session and so here Ayatollah Jawadi Amali he moves on to a stage of akhlaq referred to as al-khalwa and khalwa it um, basically means isolation loneliness oneness being by yourself and so on <coughs> so he his approach though to this concept is a little different than what i've seen in conventional akhlaqi slash irfani books so what i thought i'd do is i just bring a little piece from lubbul lubab of Allama Tahrani, Lubbul Labab, Colonel of the Colonel, that book. And um, see what he says first in regards to Khalwa. And then we'll move on to what Ayatollah Jawadi does here. Uh, it was interesting to me how he does it. He doesn't even speak about what others usually speak about here. So we'll go through what Tehrani says in Lubbul Labab. Then we'll see that Ayatollah Jawadi, he kind of just jumps straight to the fact that isolation, there's a negative isolation and a positive one. And the negative one is being away from the community, being away from society. But he doesn't talk about the positive one too much. And then he just takes the discussion to Salat al-Layl. Because he says that's like maybe the only way to get it done. You know, maybe he's keeping in mind the fact that in this day and age, there is no more, you know, I want to be on my own kind of isolated there is no opportunity for that anymore for um, for a lot of us. I don't know what it is. But he doesn't, as I said, he doesn't talk about the conventional khalwa that usually um, is spoken of. So for that, just to get a taste of that, I'm going to read off of Lubbul Labab. Lubbul Labab, he says, there are two types of khalwa. A general basic khalwa and then a khas khalwa or a special, particular khalwa. So the general one, he says, means to stay away from and uh, get away from those who are not Ahlullah, the people who have nothing to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, Ayatollah Hassan Zadda Amuli, he has a good saying here. You might have heard me say this before. He says that he told a bunch of guys to stay away from non-mahrams man and woman and so that group is like that group of guys is like okay we've heard of staying away from non-mahram women but what about what do you mean by non-mahram men because we're men too and so what do you mean and so he said anyone uh, who is not something to the effect of is not ahlullah uh, is not a person of god doesn't care about these things that person is not mahram and that's what he said. It's a pretty nice saying of his. Let me see if I can... I just remembered I have it somewhere here. Yeah, he says, Whoever doesn't have a relationship with Allah, that's what he says, is going to be non-mahram. In other words, getting close to them is going to have only regret for you. It's not going to help you. And think about that and the times we're living in today. What are the what, what's the criteria for having friends today? It's very different than this. All right. So he says here, going back to Lubul Lubab, 
He says there are two types of isolation, two types of khalwa, am and khas. Am, the general one, is to stay away from Ahlullah, those who are not Ahlullah. And he says especially to stay away from those who have weak minds and are the lay people, except to the amount for the amount necessary. Now there's no judgment being made here, okay? There's no judgment being made here. Someone might say, oh, that's not, that, that sounds kind of judgmental. No, no one's judging anybody. Every person is different. Every person's level of intellect is different. And Allah will reward accordingly and punish accordingly. That's, that's, there's no doubt about that. But for me, I mean, go look at these people who are, who are always talking about success. What do they say? Success in this world. What do they say? Surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with successful people. Blah, blah, blah. All right, well, that's the same secular rule. I want to apply it here. What's wrong with that? No, no, you're being judgmental. No one's being judgmental. <clears throat> it's, it's just saying that those people, they don't have much to do with me. When you sit around them, they will bring you down to their, to their level, whether you like it or not. It's just like you'll see like a, a sorry uh, sports team play a good team. All of a sudden, because they're playing a good team, their level goes up automatically. Lots of times this happens. And then sometimes a good team is playing a sorry team and they still lose to that team. Why? They just come down to their level. It's, it, it is a thing that we have. It, it is a rule of the world that we're in. If you surround yourself with the right people, it'll rub off the wrong people, it'll rub off. Here it says the people who have weak minds. Yeah, there will be some people who don't have strong minds. Are they bad people? Of course not. God gave them a weaker mind. Does that mean that I have to now spend all my time with them necessarily? No. It doesn't mean that. Unless the amount necessary. We need people who are going to raise us, not people who are going to keep us where we are, if not take us lower. So that is Al-Khalwa Al-Amma, the general Khalwa. But then you have the specific one, the more special one. It's not just staying away from people who are not uh, people of God, but rather it says staying away from all people. <laughs> he says staying away from all people. And he says, <clears throat> Although it's better to do that when it comes to our ibadat, our adhkar. Uh, and by the way, let me explain this, okay? Disclaimer. This needs explanation. Plus, what it also needs is for us to um, for us to see what Ayatollah Jawadi says next. That's also very important, okay? What I'm going through right now is not for everybody. And so someone might say, well, why are we covering it? Well, it's part of the book, number one. Number two, um, <clears throat> we want to see how far these greats go, actually. Okay, these people who are into health, fitness, all of that, you see how far they go. 24-7, they're watching out for everything they do. Well, these people are no different than that. They're no exception either. So, he says, although when it comes to all of the ibadat, all of the adhkar, when someone's doing these things to stay away from the people is good, it has fazilah. He says it reaches a point where for some adhkar, from, for some dhikrs that a person says, and maybe even for all dhikrs when it comes to that special stuff, if you are under the guidance of a special teacher, which seldom happens this day and age, we don't have too much of that going on anymore. But Allama Tahrani is saying this, that if you are under the supervision of a special spiritual guide, Usually, if not always, 
what's going to happen is that they're going to have a condition for you. A condition for you to stay away from the people when you're saying your dhikr, when you're, when you're doing your certain ibadat and stuff. So that's something to keep in mind as well. So he says, this is the special, special khalwa, special, not the one that's for everybody. So even the am one is not for all of us, now, which was the general one. The khas one even, furthermore, he says, for sure is not for everybody. And that's why he starts listing these things, Allama Tehrani. He says what I mean by khalwa means to refrain from places that are very busy. There's a lot of noise, a lot of chatter, having to hear a lot of things, things that distract you and distractions. He goes to this extent. He says the place that you're sitting has to be halal, has to be tahir. Even the, he says even the ceiling, <laughs> the walls even. So if you remember a few sessions ago, I pointed out how some people, they're very fixated on making sure if any corner of their house becomes najis to make it tahir right away. And I said, I haven't seen this you know, being emphasized anywhere. Here, Alama Tahrani is one of the ones who, yeah, will take things very uh, strict. Even here he's saying for that place of worship, for that place of worship, try to keep the, you know, the surroundings tahir, not the whole house. And then he says the place that you do worship should be small enough Look at all the isolation that we see here. So khalwa, isolation. He says it should be small enough that it has room for like one person. Once again, this is not for us today. Right now, today, if we have a place dedicated, even if it can fit five people, dedicated for ibadah, why not? All the, be all the better. These people, they have special stories. And then he says, in that place of worship, that you don't see too much hanging on the walls and too much glitter and that kind of stuff. Yes, brother. Is it, is, is it okay to go in seclusion? I mean, where nobody... So that's where we'll talk about that. In the beginning, brother says, is it okay to go into total seclusion? Uh, that's what I said. Uh, Ayatollah Jawadi, he starts his whole discussion, okay, by just ignoring everything that I'm saying right now. This is from another book that I'm mentioning right now, okay? Because Ayatollah Jawadi, he just goes straight to the fact that we shouldn't seclude ourselves. Okay? And I said in the beginning that this, is, uh, this goes against what the conventional books say about seclusion. And that's why we're covering this right now. So this is the conventional books. Then we'll get to what Ayatollah Jawadi says. Okay? He says that, yeah, it's too, there shouldn't be too much glitter and uh, dunyavi stuff hanging from the walls of that place. And so on. I mean, places of ibadah should be like this, in my opinion. Some even say no windows, no doors. Well, how do you get in? I mean, you know what I mean. Just one door, one en one entrance and exit. The the least means for any distraction. Okay, that's the point they're trying to get at. Which is interesting. And then so he he tells a story here. Allama Tehrani. He says they asked Salman al-Farsi uh, if they would permit him to make him a little home that he can live in because till that time there such a thing hadn't taken place and so Salman says no I don't give permission so this person says I know why you're not letting me build you a place Salman says why he says because you want a place whose width and length yes is the same amount as you is your width and length meaning you only fit in it just one person fits in it <laughs> and no more and this is not possible 
And Salman says, yep, that's how it is. Salman al-Farsi was known for this. Salman al-Farsi had like two belongings on in, in his entire life. And they say like one was just a little, maybe not even a rug, but something he would put under him and maybe one more thing. That's about it. And when he left this dunya, he's like, what am I going to say to Allah? Um, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so someone might get worried. We say, oh, we have all these belongings and stuff. We're in trouble too. No, no, no. For us, what is it? The wajib and haram. That's what matters for us, okay? <clears throat> That's Salman al-Farsi. Once you reach the maqam of Salman al-Farsi, come, we'll talk about how big or small your house should be, okay? Alright. So this is Alama Tehrani when he's talking about khalwa. Speaking about seclusion, isolation and all that. And to be honest with you, in my opinion, based on what I've seen and heard, um, there should be a time in a person's life, especially maybe in the younger years. And this is for those people who have taken care of their wajib and haram, inshallah. They're on the right track. If they mess up every now and then, they do tawbah. But they're ready for a little bit more training, a little bit more spiritual training. Now when you're 50, 60 years old, you have like 10 dependents and family and all that. I want to seclude myself. I'm not talking to anybody anymore. All right. <laughs> That's why they say the younger years are the best years for this kind of work. They don't have that much responsibility and commitment. And so in those years, I, th I personally think, yeah, it's not a bad idea to kind of every now and then, maybe under the guidance of someone who knows what they're talking about, uh, to have some seclusion. Even the Prophet had it. He had seclusion as well. He would go to Hira, that, that uh, cave. And but So it's interesting, when we get to it, until Jawadi will talk about other aspects of the Prophet as well. So he says, don't just look at his seclusion, but look at the other aspect. Now in this day and age, things might be even different. It might not be the best idea to do that. But all in all, all in all, if the circumstances allow, in my very humble opinion, um, these greats knew what they were talking about in their conventional books of akhlaq and irfan and spiritual wayfaring. When they're talking about, hey, a little bit of seclusion. Seclusion, physical, and also even with the tongue, you know, not talking too much. I love it when I see a younger person, the way they're talking, you can tell they're speaking in a calculative way. They don't just let the words come out and then after think about what they said. No, they speak very calculatively. They're careful what comes out of this mouth. <clears throat> Alright, so having said all of that, let's go into what Ayatollah Jawadi, how he sees it. It's as if my opinion, my, my understanding is this, that he he thinks that everyone's already aware of how important khalwa is and so he wants to just make sure that people don't fall on the other side of khalwa which is the negative khalwa which means to totally isolate yourself from community and society altogether he says no and so he begins right away with this he says there is a positive and a negative one let's talk about the negative one he says in the Quran this is surah qalam verses 48 to 49 that the Quran says, don't be like the one that, that the person of the the one of the the whale, the hoot, the fish, the big fish. Yeah, that person. Don't be like that person, the companion of the whale, the companion of the fish. 
while when he called out to Allah, Ibnada, he called out to Allah, and if it wasn't for a blessing from his Lord that engulfed him, he would have been cast at the bare shore, nothing to eat. And he, of course, he's gotten weak now, right? He was in the belly of the whale. So he's gotten really weak and fatigued, and he could have just died at the shore, right? But instead, no, we took care of him, and he survived, and he went back to his people, and, and so on and so forth. Why did Yunus get in trouble? Yunus got in trouble because he left his people when there was still a little chance, little tiny chance that they still might be guided. And it's interesting, after he left, they were guided. and But it was too late, Yunus was already gone. And so Allah showed Yunus that you made the wrong decision here. Not that it was a sin, according to, uh, uh, of course, the mainstream, mainstream Shia, that the prophets don't sin, of course. But it was not the best decision to make. And so I, there's an observation here Ayatollah Jawadi makes, which is pretty cool actually. I never noticed this. He says, when we look at other prophets when they're mentioned in the Quran, what does it start? What does it say? Wadkur fil kitabi Ibrahim. Wadkur fil kitabi Musa. Wadkur fil kitabi Maryam. Wadkur, wadkur, wadkur. Remember. When you don't think very positively of someone, you don't want them to re remember them either. The Quran, when it speaks about Prophet Musa, Ibrahim, and others, even Lady Maryam, says, وَذْكُرْ Remember them. So it's positive. But when it's the turn of Yunus, it doesn't say, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ Yunus. It says, وَلَا تَكُنْ كَسَاحِبِ الْحُوتِ Don't be like the companion of the whale. Right? It's very interesting. Ayatollah Jawadi has this observation here. It's pretty, pretty nice. What he's trying to conclude from all of this and get out of all of this though is this, that look, the person, this person, you know, kind of sidelined himself and marginalized himself and secluded himself from society. And this is what happened to him. So this is a negative khalwa. Was Prophet Yunus leaving his people so that he can go like do something, uh, like have fun on his own, take pleasure in life on his own? No, he's like, no, these people don't have what it takes. It's time to move on. So he probably thought that this is the best thing to do for in Allah's eyes and so he learned the hard way. That no, even if there's a 0.5% chance of guidance, don't give up on the people, don't seclude yourself from society and the people. The thing is that my little humble kind of reservation here with all of this is that, look, he's a prophet of God, his job is to be in society, <laughs> okay? And we'll get to that later as well when it comes to our Holy Prophet but, but for now, for now, all the Prophets have this job. They cannot, it's not, they sh that, it's not the rule, it's not the default, it's the exception to leave society and to go somewhere else. But me as a person that, you know, is on my own, I don't have a responsibility for the masses, yeah? Does this apply to me necessarily? Ayatollah Jawadi doesn't talk about that. And this is where I, where I said, that's why I felt like I need to cover like someone like Allama Tehrani beforehand to remind us that like all these greats, usually they're talking about at least a period of time where a person has to go into seclusion. Why are we, go, why, why, why are we forgetting that the Prophet himself went into seclusion a little bit before becoming Prophet? Yeah, once he became Prophet and uh, you know he was going hard on himself, 
And so the people, or maybe his, or Bibi Khadija might have told him, according to some historical reports, if they're reliable, like, don't you want to like rest a little bit? When is it, when are you going to rest? And he said, Now that I'm prophet, the time to sleep has passed on. Like, there's no time to sleep anymore. Okay, because he has so much work with who? With the people. But before that, he was in seclusion as well. Every now and then, Najul Balagha, Imam Ali talks about it. That uh, every year, some some days of the year, he would go into seclusion in the cave of Hira. I would serve him. I would he, I was I was with him, and so on and so forth. So that's the part that he doesn't uh, address. Yeah. So I think that that's important. All of us need a little bit of time, maybe every throughout the year, every now and then. And especially in the beginning when we don't have too much responsibility and commitment and too much going on in our lives, to have a little bit of seclusion, especially if you're single, it's, 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 it's a good opportunity to develop that strength and that bond with Allah through some seclusion at least. But once again, it should not be in a way where, um, at least in our day and age, where you stand out either. This is not good. Some people, all of a sudden, what happens is that you know, they have that wake up, that, that, that moment where they wake up kind of, and they're like, what am I doing? Uh, let me work on myself a little bit more. And they do come to the correct conclusion of, hey, being with the people is not the best thing always, or all people. I have to be more selective, and also just I've got to be a little more quiet. But the thing is that if you're going to do that in a way that you stand out now, and everyone's pointing at you, hey, do you know this person's, look, look at them, they don't even talk anymore to anybody, this, that. This will have its own ramifications, I'm just saying this. A person who's smart will be careful about these things. If you're going to make a big change, slowly, so that you're not on the tongue of pe on the tongues of the people, right? As they say in Farsi, right? That people are not talking about you either. This is super important for different reasons. It can get you in trouble sometimes. It can cause problems, and even it can cause some unwanted arrogance when you start noticing that people are respecting you more because you're keeping your mouth shut. This also happens. True story, it happens where a person will stand out spiritually for people. They'll be like, wow, look at them. Yeah. And so this person is like, he knows that everyone's talking about them now. So you have to be careful about that as well. Trust me, when you go into a little bit of seclusion, a little bit of silence, people respect you a lot more. They look up to you a lot more. I've noticed this uh, with different people. And so if you're not careful, even that might be a tool shaitan uses. All right. So very slow and steady. Um, but yeah, I think that's needed. Okay, so having said that now, he shifts the whole discussion to the uh, seclusion that you and the loneliness, I don't know what better word to use, lonely, not loneliness, but the fact that you're not surrounded by anybody. Yeah, that kind of loneliness. So loneliness usually has a negative connotation. I'm not talking about that type of loneliness. Just the fact that you're alone, okay? You're being alone that is achieved through Salat al-Layl. He talks about that. He shifts it there. As if the only way in this day and age at least to achieve this khalwa, that is a positive khalwa, is for a person to resort to and seek refuge in the night. Okay? It's not possible in the, in the day, but in the night it's possible, he says. But once again, he uses the example of the Prophet for this. Okay? He uses the example of the Prophet. Once again, the Prophet, the Quran itself will say that, O Prophet, you have a lot going on in the day. That's why you should resort to night. What is the verse? 
It's the famous verses of uh, Surah Muzammil, verses six to seven. It's not Muzammil, by the way. It's Muzammil. All right. It says, "Inna nashi'at al-layli hiya ashad wat'an wa aqwamu qila." All right, which means that the uh, phenomenon of the night, right? The night, the night is firmer in tread. That means when you're putting your, when you're traveling, right? You want to make sure you travel in a way that you're not set back. You want to travel in a way that you don't shake and fall, right? You want to make sure that you are taking major steps and strides confidently towards the destination. It says, When it comes to taking strides and treading and, and traversing a path, that path can be treaded better in the night. Number one. Number two, And what is said in the night is aqwam. Aqwam, qiwam, means something that is established. Something that's qa'im means it's standing, right? Qa'im, standing. So qiwam means to be established, to be upright, right? If you want to say something, if you really mean what you say, say it in the night. Doesn't mean after maghrib. Here it's talking, it has a specific context here. Meaning what? Oh Allah, I love you so much. Well, if you want to prove that you love Allah so much, let me see you wake up 30 minutes before Fajr. <laughs> Alright, that is aqwamu qila. What you're saying holds weight, holds value. You know what you're talking about. You really mean it. You see, talking, dhikr, and all that stuff is good. It ain't enough. You gotta back it with action. Alright. Why though? Why is the night the best time for you, O Prophet? Inna laka fin nahar sabhan tawila. During the day, O Prophet, you have a very long, let's say, or deep swim. Sab, sabaha in Arabic means swimming. Alright, so Ayatul Jawad is going to get some points out of this later. It says, look, you're going to be swimming. When you're swimming, you are so uh, engaged in what you're doing. Like when you're swimming, your whole body is really moving, right? You're so engaged in that activity that you won't be able to do anything else. The day is not the time for khalwa. As if. See, this is how Ayatollah Jawadi is using this, okay? The day is not the time for khalwa. The day is to get the job, is for getting the job done, whatever the job is. Right? If you want some time with me, the night is the time for that. Where there's no one around you, less noise, if any. Yeah. And so he has a nice line here, Ayatollah Jawadi. He says, Shinavariya dar kasrat botanhoi sazagar nist. Swimming in the middle of multiplicity, kathra. Swimming in multiplicity, because when we look around us in the day, all the things that are going on, that's all multiplicity. It goes against oneness, loneliness, being one with Allah, being alone with Allah. I want to be alone with Allah, that's khalwa. But then in the daytime when I'm swimming and there's like everything going on around me, these two don't add up, these two don't get along, they're not compatible with each other. So let me read a little part of his, this a couple of paragraphs actually here, of how he speaks about this. He says, look, the, a, a person will understand very well and register properly what the, someone who's speaking to them is saying. When? When will they understand that? When they themselves are quiet and calm. And when can they also listen well? 
when they're not hearing anything else from anywhere else, from anyone else, from within them or outside of them. Which scares me when he says this. It scares me when, when he says this. Because, alright, in the nighttime, people around us, stuff around us is not happening. Even if you leave your phone on, no one's messaging you 4 a.m. Alright? Except for the ones who stayed up from the night before. <laughs> right? That happens too, by the way. Um, but yeah, no one's messaging, no one's talking, there's no noise, there's no... And when I say noise, I mean it metaphorically. Not noise outside by cars or something. No, noise. There's nothing going on. But what scares me is this. In this day and age that we're in right now, there's so much going on throughout the day. And there's so much messaging going on. And there's so much that in the night, all of that, it feels, it seems, spills out. Like even if you wake up in the middle of the night, your mind goes to a lot of things that you need to do. And it's just the times we're in, brothers and sisters. In the past, a hundred years ago, it wasn't like this, man. A hundred years ago, you would eat a piece of bread and maybe some yogurt or milk or something. That was like about your food, maybe. Maybe you had a tomato or something. Even back then, a hundred years ago, maybe there was no tomatoes. I don't know, in some parts of the world. Anyway, something like that, a cucumber. That was your food. And to make that happen, to be able to have that much food, what did you do throughout the day? Yeah, you would have to work hard so that you would have that meal at the end of the night, at the end of the day. Something like that. So this person isn't doesn't have to contact 5,000 people in the day, right? And have 100 meetings and this and that to make sure that the ends meet because of all the demands that we have in our lives today, which also is beyond our control. And so as a result, this person, throughout the day, he's just worried about, okay, how can I plant this tree like this? Or, you know, take down, uh, cut down the wheat like that and... You know, let me light this fire. Why isn't this fire lighting? Because we want to. We need to make bread. And uh, did, did did like my son go and get a pail of water from the stream? Because we need that for the flour to make bread. That's like the worries they have. So in the middle of the night, when he wakes up, all he sees is the stars. <laughs> you know, doesn't have to worry about who said this and what's that. When I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm gonna have to make this call. That I'm gonna make that visit, that meeting. It wasn't like that before. Yeah, the demands have gone up. The way of life, the lifestyles are problematic. As a result. You wake up in the middle of the night even, that voice of within is still talking to you, unfortunately. The multiplicity is going to still be there. It's crazy. So when he says this, to be a good listener, I have to, because later on he'll talk about this, because when he says listener, he says things are being said in the middle of the night. Signals are being sent in the middle of the night. Alright, so we want to receive those. He says to receive those, to hear the ones talking, I'm not talking about the angels, I'm not talking about actual hearing, this is all metaphorical. To be able to register certain things that Allah is sending out of those blessings in the night, He says, if I want to be able to listen to that, the ears of the heart, the ears of the, ears of the soul, the ears of the body, they all have to be, they, they should not be subject to any other noise. Any other noise, from within, from outside, and that's why I say I get worried here, because when He says from within, that's going to be a tough one. But at the end of the day, it's better than the day. <laughs> you see what I did there? At the end of the day, it's better than the day. In the end, it's better than the day, whatever it is. Whatever it is. So he says, Therefore the Qur'an sees silence and some form of seclusion as one of the stages of spiritual wayfaring. He says that. And then he goes on to point out how or why this is the case. 
what's happening in the night? He says, look, we have a verse in the Quran. Once again, he makes a nice observation here uh, with a verse of the Quran and a hadith here that he has. He says, look, in the Quran, what is this? Verses 9 to 10 of Surah Naba. It says, وَجَعَلْنَا نَوْمَكُمْ سُبَاتًا وَجَعَلْنَا اللَّيْلَ libasa." That we made your sleep a means of calm and tranquility for you. And we made the night a libas. We don't want to talk about that right now. So he says, for us, the night is a time of sleep. But for which part of us? He says, for the body. Subat means sleep, sleep of the body. But then he says, <coughs> Imam Ali in Nahjul Balagh, he says, Na'udhu billah min subat al So the verse said, Ja'alna namakum subata. We made your sleep a subat. This is with a sin, not a tha, by the way. Subat with a sin. Like sheen, sin. We made your sleep a subat, a means of subat for you. Here Imam Ali says, I seek refuge in the subat of the aql, of the intellect. So Ayatollah Jawadi brings these two together. He brings them together, he says, what we get from this is that if the night is a means of subat, it is a means of subat for the body, not for the aql and the soul. Because Imam Ali is seeking refuge of the subat and the sleep of the aql and the soul. These are never, are never supposed to sleep it seems. And so he says, when I add these two up, what do I get? That the night is when the aql will flourish. Alright? So this seclusion that we were talking about, he's taking it now to another level, mashallah, here with the observations he has. And he says that that is when things are going to actually blossom. Right? As a matter of fact, the body is supposed to rest so that good stuff can happen with other aspects um, and dimensions of our existence. Alright, so then he goes back to إِنَّ لَكَ فِي النَّهَارِ سَبْحًا طَوِيلًا There's a couple points here that I'm going to point out before we end in regards to um, this verse إِنَّ لَكَ فِي النَّهَارِ سَبْحًا طَوِيلًا That, O oh Prophet, Verily, you will have a very deep or long swim in the day. As I said, or I might have hinted at, swimming here is referring to the chores and the tasks that the Prophet ﷺ has throughout the day. Okay, But the Qur'an could have said, إِنَّ لَكَ فِي النَّهَارِ عَمَلًا طَوِيلًا You have a lot of work to do. But it said, سَبْحًا You're swimming. There are a few points here, or a couple maybe, two. Number one is that Ayatollah Jawadi, he says that this shows us that in the day, we're not supposed to, if we're going to compare the day to a swimming pool, a pool of water, we should not be in the day sitting in the corner. And you know, those people at the swimming pool who don't know how to swim, <laughs> they're sitting in, this, at the, you know, cor in some corner of the swimming pool and they're like with their toes in the water and they're like just playing with the water. Yeah, he says, don't be like that. Okay, he says you got to jump in and swim. Productivity, getting work done. He speaks about the Prophet and all that and what the Prophet was doing. يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ يُزَكِّيهِمْ يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ بِالْحَقِّ All of these things 
All right, all of these things require swimming. In other words, putting your sleeves up, getting dirty, whatever you want to say. Okay, that's one observation he has in this verse. Another thing he says about this verse also that the Prophet has all of these things going on for him in the day. If he has all of these things going on for him in the day, it doesn't make sense to tell him you need to be secluded. Khalwa is your way to go. Now is not the time for khalwa anymore. And so what I want to take from all this is that, look, so for us, in the circumstances that we are living in today, for some of us it might be a possibility, but it really is going to be an exceptional case where a person can now today say, I'm going to be in seclusion for a while. It's going to be very hard. Although if someone can pull it off without uh, any ramifications, that'll be great. But if someone cannot, um, usually that's not going to be possible anymore. We have to understand what the priorities are. Even with the Prophet, when he has responsibilities, he's not going to do seclusion anymore. What he's going to do is, when he's praying Salat, he's going to try his best to not let anyone come in. Salat al-Dhuhr, Salat al-Asr. You know, this happens all the time. Ayatollah Bahjad says this, Oh my God, this is the pr most practical advice for Salat you can hear. Oh Ayatollah Bahjad, I want a good namaz, I want a good Salat, but in the middle of it, I forget. The whole Salat, I'm not even paying attention. What do I do? Such practical advice. You know what he says? Yeah, the famous, uh, what he says is famous. He says, look, there will be that moment in your Salat where you remember, whoa, I'm praying. Yeah? This was not the car, this is not cardio. This is me praying. He says, that moment, stick to that moment. And don't let yourself voluntarily go. Now experiment this. Now I'm sorry, I, I might sound like I'm telling you to do stuff in your Salat. Right? But experiment this. Or after Salat, think about it. That moment when you remember, yeah, when you remember, usually what we do is, oh darn, I'm, I'm you know, not paying attention. And so you're like, okay, let's uh, wander off again. And we're, before you know it, we're somewhere else again. He says, don't voluntarily wander off, wander off again at least. This, I would say, is the big struggle. I love it. It's so practical. Just when you remember third rak'ah, second rak'ah, first rak'ah, whenever you remember, be like, oh, okay. I have to, from here on at least, uh, keep this in mind. Yeah, but usually you'll find that we voluntarily kind of, you know, like, well, let me just crack the door open. Let me take a look into the world of my imagination and see what else. What did he say in that cartoon I was watching before Salat? What did this happen? Oh, now I get what happened in the movie. Like, these kinds of things, lots of times they voluntarily happen. We let it come back in. I swear, that's I just... And so that is the struggle, I would say. So we understand we have a long day, a long day of work that we have, all of us. At least in our Salat, let's have some seclusion. And then the night time as well. Five minutes, ten minutes. Even Salatul Fajr just waking up on time if we can do that. And so that we can, uh, at least that time of day is also pretty quiet. At least make the most of that time with a dhikr that we want to say, with a Quran that we want to recite as well. Whatever it is. yeah. And so Fajr time really is a beautiful time. And so we'll end with this verse. He says, this is uh, that famous verse uh, again, Surah Isra verse 79. وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ نَافِلَةً لَكَ So use the night time as a nafila for yourself and spend the night in worship. عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَبْعَثَكَ رَبُّكَ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا He says here, عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَبْعَثَكَ رَبُّكَ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا means that Allah 
as a result of this can give you that praiseworthy rank, whatever that is. But here, Ayatul Jawadi, this is what he says. He says, so the human being, the person, reaches maqam and mahmuda, the praiseworthy station and rank, when they are at total peace and speaking with Allah. Because that's what happens in the night. He said, the Quran said, as for the night time, what you do is you spend it in worship, at least some of it, in worship. That is going to get you to Maqam and Mahmuda. Well, what happens at night? What we talked about, that seclusion is there, the calmness in there, and speaking to Allah is there. And as a result, inshallah, some of the signals that are coming down as well will be taken in. And so he says that is what the main effect of Salatul Layl is going to be, inshallah, Maqam and Mahmuda. Any questions before we end? No? All right. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Salawat. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad.